And let's give a warm welcome to the host of The H Spot, David Hirschkopf. Last time on The H Spot, David was speaking with Abby Alderman, CEO of BoardSpan, about how high-level boards of advisors and directors are adapting to business in the post-COVID era. Now back to the discussion. We're obviously in the middle of an impeachment trial. Biden administration comes in. Trump administration goes out. Very polarized country right now. And how do you feel about, you know, boards sort of when they weigh in on political issues or sort of take sides or, or politically related issues, you know, like Elon Musk occasionally would, would tweet something or you got the pillow guy or you know, yeah. what, what happens? Is that tend to be a good thing, a bad thing, non-recommended thing? Yeah, I think the vast majority of organizations would prefer their board members to keep their opinions out of the public realm, although it's getting harder and harder in this age of social media. I I think that from a board point of view, the question a board member always has to ask themselves are, when I'm speaking, am I speaking on behalf of myself or on behalf of the organization? And no board member should ever speak on behalf of the organization without being explicitly asked to by the right people, whether that person is the CEO, the chair, the head of communications, whatever. But you're not authorized as a board member to speak on behalf of the organization, no matter what else your rights and responsibilities are. I think the self-defense that we've heard a lot of people use saying, I'm just speaking on behalf of myself, is um, questionable. Because back to the duty of loyalty and the duty of care, if you're sitting on a board, you have a loyalty to do what is good for that organization. And you might want to have your own opinion out there because you keep a personal blog or because you want to tell your Facebook friends what you think, but you have chosen to affiliate yourself with that company and you have to think about their needs. And so going and doing something that might be harmful to that organization is kind of a right you've given up a little bit if you want to be associated with them. And if you want to have a strong point of view on something that organization finds to be uh, inappropriate, then you got to get off the board and speak for yourself. You have that choice. But do people ever sign something similar to what like professional athlete would sign where like if they do something criminal or immoral or, or something, you know, that blows up in social media that, that they can kick them off? Yeah, there are absolutely people that have been removed from boards, whether quietly or very visibly. And, you know, I think most people would rather quietly guide somebody off. And I'm I'm not going to mention my clients who have done that, but I have plenty of clients that have done that. The reason to do it visibly is if the rest of the board and the company needs to disassociate themselves, but otherwise you want to do it quietly, just tamp it down and move on. But yeah, absolutely. Bad behavior will get you kicked off a board and it should. You need a video of like two big guys, like kicking a guy out of the door. You know, It's not quite that dramatic. You remember <laughs> the best boards don't like drama. So, right. 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 And that's what makes having a CEO like Elon Musk a challenge, entertaining to some of us, but a challenge, I'm sure, to people on that board. Yeah. I mean, with, with great talent comes other things sometimes. So diversity, 2020, obviously, you know, put things up to a a new notch on diversity. Yeah. Uh, Are boards making a lot of progress and how diverse are they? Are they not? And, you know, if a board becomes diverse, does that then trickle down to like the actual organization? And what what are those issues? Boards are making progress, a lot of progress in general. And, And I would attribute that 
to the two California laws that you may recall hearing about. And, you know, I'll get a little governance nerdy on you. If you think I haven't been nerdy enough yet, (laughs) just to say the two laws, one is called SB, Senate Bill 826, and that was a year and a half ago. And then AB uh, 979, which was just this fall. So the first one is the women in the boardroom rule. And I think most people have embraced it. Some people don't. That's fine. I was on a panel with a true legal scholar who I have tremendous respect for who debated me on it. So that was fun and challenging. Really good guy. And he debated it. 979 is the one about people of underrepresented communities having to be on boards. And so those two laws have had probably the single biggest effect versus lots of other groups and clubs and even the investment community, uh, BlackRock and State Street and Vanguard are known to be very vocal about these issues. And they're being vocal and, and giving voice to it has been helpful. And, and boards are listening to, oh, look, we're all a bunch of old white guys. So let's let's not be that. But the single biggest thing is the law so far. Now that may change once people settle in with the law. Or is there another way to, to reinforce why this is important? I will tell you that I think we're kind of halfway there, maybe 60% there on why people believe diversity is important. And there's a huge swath of people that are doing it because they have to, not because they necessarily think it's important, which is maybe unfortunate, but reminds us to be patient and let them grow into it. But it's happening, not always for all the right reasons. And there's still a lot of work to be done. You know, it's the first couple of steps, but we've got We've got, uh, you know, a couple of miles to go yet, but at least it's going in the right direction. But when people think it's beneficial, is that only for sort of a PR reason or do they, do some of them understand sort of like, wow, we can get different perspectives and attack things different ways. And there's actually a a monetary benefit. Yeah, it's, it's across the board. Um, Some people think it's, you know, just like, Hey, we have to check the box. We're either complying with the law or it looks good on our website or something like that. And, those are the folks that I, I hope that the more time they spend with it and get comfortable and excited and frankly, even see the results of it, which is early days. There have been a lot of studies done, especially about the gender issue. But look, if, if you want to believe in that, you're going to point to the studies and say, look, McKinsey did this study or First Boston did this study. If you don't believe in it, you're going to say you can twist the numbers academically any way you want to tell any story you want. So your predisposition will probably influence how you look at some of those studies. But at the end of the day, the experience of what it's like to have a diverse board, I think, is going to be what seals the deal in the value of it. You had mentioned, you know, is that going to help, you know, push diversity down in the organization? I, I kind of think of it a little bit differently, which is, is that going to help pull it up? Because boards have a ton of influence. And I'll, I'll give you an example. And I can't name the person in the company because that would be unfair. But this is a Fortune 25 company, somebody I'm very close to who sits on their board. And they were doing natural succession planning. The CEO isn't going anywhere now, but really good companies, really evolved boards have their CEOs think about their succession planning when you retire in five years or God forbid you get hit by a bus or whatever. Let's just know who would be in line, who as a board should we go to? And this CEO had identified three people. He has nine direct reports and three people that he thought the board should consider. And the board strategy was, Let's take these, you know, whoever you identify and groom them so that over the next two years, so that any one of them might be a good CEO candidate. And then we have choices. We don't have to go outside to hire somebody. 
and not a single one of them was a woman. And this person I know happens to be a woman who's on this Fortune 25 board said, so why are there no women? Is that because you haven't brought women into your organization? You haven't groomed them? You haven't cultivated them? Is that why you have no women to offer us? Or have you looked over anybody? And the CEO was appropriately embarrassed and apologetic and said, you're right. I need to step back and ask myself that question. And he came back to the board and said, I gave you three and I should have given you four. This woman absolutely could be CEO if she got the same level of grooming that I want to give these three guys. And the reason was, is that he made some assumptions in his own head about her career path, her family needs, what she would probably not want to be CEO. So he didn't put her on the list. Now, that's why I'm not going to say the name of the company or the director, but I really applaud them for having that, you know, really candid conversation and the culture of that board to call that out. Right. When I decided to start this podcast, I made a list of all like, you know, the successful people I thought would make interesting guests. And so I just, you know, made people I, I know basically. And I think the list at the end was probably 70% men, 30% women, something like that, and 98% white. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I looked at it, I was like, wow, that's really not, that's not good. And I was trying to figure out why is that? I mean, you know, we both live in Moran, which is not a, a very diverse county. And, you know, just in the industry, in the food industry, I mean, when I look around, it's, it's not nearly as diverse as it should be. So obviously now I'm making a concerted effort to go through like contacts to other, you know, their second round contacts and third rounds to like get this to be a much more diverse guest over time. But is that the same thing that happens on boards? It's sort of like you reach out to the people you know, and, you know, if, if it's always been sort of biased towards white guys, then that's who you're probably going to know. And white guys feel, they feel pretty comfortable with it. So they don't really make much effort to change it. And it takes a conscious effort. Uh, you're, you're spot on. So first of all, I, I really applaud you for you made your list and caught yourself. And that's really impressive. And that makes me like you even more. Thanks. I like you a ton. <laughs> and you're, you're spot on that it's uh, often, a, you know, a, a direct outcome of our own networks and how we got into those circles by where we live, where we send our kids to school, what our jobs are, et cetera are more monolithic than we realize quite often. And so it does take real intention. And the intention, um, you know, a lot of people in diverse communities who I talk to about this will say, however it is that I'm getting the call and this board's interested in me, even if it's because I'm diverse, I don't mind it because at least I'm going to help, you know, with that beginning of integration. But I think really there are plenty of people that do mind it. I, I would never ever, ever approach somebody to be on a board to be the token person. I mean, I I just think it's disrespectful and not setting up for a good, healthy relationship. But I do think if we say, look, we want somebody who's really good at, you know, sort of solving these business problems, really understands this customer that we're approaching, has done this before, or is well-connected in the space of what we're trying to accomplish And we want that person to be diverse so that not only do we get all those business problems solved, but we can look at it through a different lens. And all the other things we always do will now get a different perspective, maybe, on it. And that's 
I think that's all the right reasons to want diversity is so that you can broaden how you think. That I think is where ultimately people will buy in, look back on us in the you know, 80s, 90s, 2000s, I just dated myself, 2020s and say, wow, I can't believe how long it took us. You know, how long did it take? But that's our, that's our dream. It's measured in progress, right? So, I mean, I don't know if you've used a similar issue, but sort of, you know, corporate responsibility with sort of, you know, environmental issues and other, you know, social issues. Our board's also making a lot of progress towards, you know, being responsible there and in, in some cases supplanting efforts where the government hasn't stepped up. Yeah, so it's a really, really hot topic these days. This is what I referred to earlier as ESG uh, matters. It's probably going to be, if not the biggest, one of the top two boardroom conversations this year. And that's a little bit because we've had the administration change the values and much more, but also because a year and a half ago, the business roundtable, which is the sort of national group of the CEOs of the Fortune 250 or Fortune 500, something like that, came out and made a very, very important statement about uh, shareholder primacy not being their mantra anymore, but constituency, thinking more broadly about constituency. And they included the environment as, you know, sort of our earth as part of one of the constituents that we all have. So it's being driven by lots of different pressure points in, and investors also. And just uh, a week ago, Larry Fink, who does his annual letter and has been talking about environmental issues uh, for a while now and made that a really, really the sort of the centerpiece of his annual letter. And BlackRock is literally the largest investor in the world. So they have a lot of sway also. So it's coming at us from all these different ways. I would say the most powerful way that should be coming at us is consumers. Because at the end of the day, if consumers won't buy a product because it's been over plasticized or carbon emissions or or too much carbon was used in creating it or delivering it, or uh, it's putting too many bottles into the ocean. I think that's where you kind of have to pay attention as a business owner. A lot of people say that millennials and Gen Z especially are sort of the game changers around this. And you and I are parents of people of that age. And so if they can just draw the line and say, if this isn't happening, I'm not going to support that company. I think that's going to be really powerful. So it does come back down to dollars and cents, but consumers can really drive a lot of this. Right. And if people have time to plan, obviously they can spot the places where there's dollars and cents to be made from doing the right thing and start companies that way. And social media is empowering voices that just weren't heard before, you know, and creating collectives that didn't exist before, right? Right. And so all of a sudden they're amplifying the message. And I think that's a factor as well. In my industry, it's always like a little confusing because we're these CPG companies that sell packaged goods and, and really, you know, at a base level, it's better for the world if people like have a little plot in their yard and pick their food and grow it. So it's not ship, you know, from nine places and manufactured and go to store to store. And just, you know, it's like, there's so much waste and energy consumption and everything like that. And then you get all these companies that are better for you companies with this aura of like goodness who are, if you look at the steps they're taking, it's really not that good. Well, and that's why it's such a complex issue because you did open up this topic asking about boards. And I said, it's going to be a hot topic this year. It's not going to be solved for a long, long time. I think what boards first have to do, and even this first step is going to take a few years, which is wrap their heads 
around it and understand not only how do we measure it, what's our relationship to it, you know, sort of what's expected of us, but what is the it to begin with, right? right? And it's a very complex and it really needs to be pulled all the way apart and then put back together. And it's going to take a while, but the fact that people are asking these questions is is a step in the right direction. But if a CEO is not asking these questions, would you expect then the board's responsibility to to put it in front of them? A hundred percent. There's no question. And they will. You know, I've already talked with a few clients about that topic, which is the board. This is one of the things we do a, an annual assessment for all of our clients and so looking at is the board paying attention to all the right issues? And it's one of the many broad topics. Are they aligned? Are they getting access to information? Are a bunch of things we talk about, but ESG is one of them. And we're working with a client very recently where the board had no idea what the company's ESG strategy was. And this is a fairly large multi-billion dollar board in the industrial space. And I was thrilled to see the board say and use this assessment tool as a way to convey that message. What are we doing about ESG? What's our strategy? Where are we going? Because if they didn't raise that question, they never would know. And it might've just sailed on by. And the answer might be, we're doing nothing. Oh, we forgot to ask. Well, it turns out the company's doing a lot, never thought the board cared. So part of the value was saying, oh, you guys are doing a lot. The board forgot to ask you about it last year and the year before, but it's come up in the assessment. Why don't you all talk to each other? And then the board will be able to say, wow, you're doing more than we thought, or you're doing a lot, but not enough. That's a really constructive board management dialogue right there. So if you have a board, assuming it's not like, you know, your three relatives of the founder, an independent board, yeah, should there be a certain natural tension between the board and management, not adversarial, but a certain pull as the board tries to get the company to step it up and, and pressure them almost to do better? Whether it's a tension or a constructive challenge or however, you know, whatever words we want to use around it. Yeah. I mean, the board's job is to help that CEO continue to think about what does progress look like, to use your word, and sort of what does the future look like? And there are very, very few CEOs, I think, that would tell you that they go into their board meeting and tell the board, hey, I bet this is on your mind. Here's what I'm thinking about it. I mean, nobody's that clairvoyant. So you, Certainly as a CEO should prepare what you you believe is important, what you want the board to know, what you think the board does want to know as they discharge their duties. But don't be surprised and certainly don't be offended if the board asks about a few other things that you didn't put on the agenda, weren't on your radar screen, and you may have a great answer for or may not, but that's their job. And so whether it's attention or just their way of contributing and a conversation and a dialogue, not a head-to-head challenge always makes it a little more pleasant, but I've got a board, I've got a fantastic board. I'm very fortunate. And we meet five times a year. And if I wasn't expecting them to keep raising the bar, I wouldn't have such a great board. It'd be pretty bad if you had a bad board. Yeah, yeah that's true. It you would know. be a, a <laughs> cobbler's children. Luckily, we don't have that problem. So do you think with COVID that boards are going to meet remotely forever? Or after this, are boards going to go back to mostly in-person meetings, you think? Just like companies, I think they're going to be somewhere in in between. I think it's a hybrid world. I think what boards have learned over the last year is that you can get an awful lot done remotely and that you can figure out not only how to have a Zoom board meeting, but you can go into Zoom rooms even, right? And 
I think they've learned a lot, not just about how to use technology, because very few people have an IT person right in their own house, but we've all learned that and technology's made it themselves really user-friendly. But I think boards have learned as much about sort of how to engage with each other, how to interact and really great sort of rules of engagement, like don't turn your screen off during a board meeting, right? Like there's just some good courtesies that people have have really embraced. So I think from that point of view, it's been really positive. Boards have also realized how much they miss the face-to-face, having dinner together, being able to go to a board meeting and taking you know a break in between sessions and processing what we just heard together, which is a lot harder to do in a, in a virtual setting. And so my prediction is, is that boards are going to be more comfortable having one or two of their four or five board meetings virtually. And nobody's going to feel like oh, we're, we're slackers, but they're not going to go a hundred percent. Very few are going to go hundred percent virtual or hundred percent in person. So obviously you're helping a lot of other boards and a lot of people around boards and board issues but at the same time, you're doing this through your, your vehicle, which is Boardspan, yep. and you have to run your company. So for you, like, what are the three sort of biggest day-to-day challenges in running your company? Boardspan, as you know, is still a pretty small company in the grand scheme. We just did a venture financing last fall, and so we're, we're at an inflection point ourselves. But I think one of the biggest challenges is that we're doing something so new in the world of governance, thinking about governance in a very different way, how to be how to be data-driven, how to use analytics, how to bring information that was hard to find and make it easy to find. And this is sort of a, the new way of thinking about boards. So we're teaching people a lot uh, how to think about governance in a new modern way. And whether we're teaching our clients or teaching our own team members governance, that's one of the biggest, you know, sort of places where I, I think a lot about putting everybody up on that steep learning curve. Speaking of curves, we're also scaling really quickly for growth. And our company is more than doubled in the last four months. And I think that will continue to happen over the next couple of years. I and mean, we're just on a really steep growth curve ourselves. So scaling the business, not only for internally at Boardspan, but scaling our number of clients and doing it in a very responsible way is definitely one of the biggest challenges. And then I would say the last thing, and maybe the most important thing, is keeping the culture. I have a lot of not just pride in the culture, but a lot of investment in the culture, meaning I believe the culture of any company is what gets you through hard times, gets you through high growth times, gets you through volatile and changing times, like we're all working from home. What does it look like to be a board span six or 12 months from now? And I think our culture is what sees us through. So getting that culture and evolving it with the whole team is something that is really a high priority for me. Yeah. I mean, for us, we've modeled our culture on a dysfunctional family with mental illness. (laughs) That works. That works for us though. Um, Hey, whatever works for you though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, thank you so much. You've been so generous with your time. I've actually learned a lot. And when I listen to this again, I'll probably learn a lot more. I hope you had a good time. And I'm sure that everyone listening will really really learn a lot. Also, is there a site or something you want people to check out? Oh, thanks. It's my commercial opportunity. Yes. Um, anybody who's interested in boards can go to boardspan.com, just like it sounds, boardspan. What we have there that I think people will find really interesting is our governance library is open to the public. There's no firewall. You don't even have to 
give us your email address. There's a bonus if you do, but you can just go to the library and put in any search topic about boards. It can be CEO compensation. It can be risk. It can be ESG. A lot of things we talked about today. And there's just a ton and ton of third-party articles, whether it's from law schools and business schools to consultants to all kinds of board experts are all aggregated in our library. So that's one thing for people who are interested. If somebody's interested in getting on a board, there's a free set of tools that we make available. Just click the button that says candidates. We'll give you some guidance on how to write a board profile. It's a little bit like your LinkedIn, but it should be a little bit different. So we teach you how to do that. We teach you how to write your elevator pitch so you can identify your own superpowers and and tell people why you think you'd be good on a board. And then we even teach you how to use your own network to network your way into boards because that's where a lot of these placements get made and decisions get made. And then the third thing is if you sign up for the email, you'll get our weekly newsletter, which is all things governance. And it comes out every Thursday like clockwork. And that'll just keep you apprised of what's going on in the world of boards. And that's free as well. So I don't get a free set of steak knives if I give you my email? No, that you have to come visit us and we'll give you (laughs) steak knives when you visit. Well, thanks, Abby. I really appreciate your time and your input. Dave, it's great to chat with you. And I'm so glad to be reconnected and hear all the good things about your family too. Thanks. Give it up for Dave Hirschkopf, everybody. You've been listening to The H-Spot on the Funnel Radio channel. Never miss an episode. Be sure to subscribe at thehspotpodcast.com.